politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight for what is right here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for the last day of November. It is Wednesday, and it just happens to be that fighting for what is right is also fighting for what will allow us to survive. Survive as people, as a civilization, as a culture, as a distinct satient human being with bodily sovereignty. Um, Here's the deal, folks. You walk in, let's say for our female listeners, and your husband's in bed with another woman. And every day you come in and find the same thing. Well, actually, scrap that. The more apt analogy would be he's in bed with another man um, because that's really what the Republican Party is all about. And you just say, hey, honey, you want to... Ice cold beer. Here, here, here you go, and you start acting as if nothing happened. That's my colleagues in conservative media, and they've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. Every time we have these moments where they betray us beyond belief, out in the open, voting for gay marriage, mandating gay marriage at a time like this, and it wasn't just the twelve who voted for it; it was almost every one of them supported it privately didn't speak out against it. And this is how they are in every other issue. They're doing this on the omnibus bill. They're doing this on everything. We will never, ever advance a single priority under this party, and especially not at a federal level. What do we do with that? Nobody is even speaking to this. They'll talk about Kanye West, whatever else. Won't even talk about this. Kudos to Glenn Beck for having me on for a long time today. I mean, he's taken an interest in my work, and I really appreciate that. But nobody else is giving you a vision. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. We could absolutely assert our will, gradually wean ourselves off the party. I've talked about before. We'll reiterate a little bit today how to gradually change focus on the right issues, people, states, and mixture of party conventions instead of primaries, running independent candidates, pledging not to vote for any Republican that doesn't share our values, even in a general election. All these things would help. But the bottom line is you have to red pill our own people, red pill the red states, red pill the red voters to recognize what is even happening until you can get them to the brink on the, at that point. They, they, they're not happy with what's going on in the world, but it's still, like I said, you know, they're involved with their family, their job. Doesn't They don't feel like it affects them that much. Some it does, but not a critical mass. And everyone who is in a position to lead them are leading them astray and are part of that controlled opposition. So this is what we're going to uncover today, kind of diagnose where we are in light of this marriage vote and where we need to head. And as I give you a 2020 vision on politics, but not just politics, but civilization, Better Spectacles America's only conservative eyewear company gives you real 2020 vision in your eyes, especially those of you who struggle with progressives uh, like me that are very much nearsighted. Rodenstock scientists, um, and, and they're used by Better Spectacles. They import Rodenstock Eyewear, they use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. They take their findings from over 1 million patients, and they 
created a product to give you seamless, natural vision that works perfectly with your brain. I mean, you ever walk around without glasses if you're nearsighted, uh, your brain can't think, right? You can't function. Well, if you have improper glasses as well, you're not functioning, firing on all cylinders. I feel it every day. I feel sharp by seeing sharply. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to do what my wife and I did. Schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't even have to leave your home and wear a mask. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses. Uh, they're offering 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted stock frames at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So folks, I want to make it very clear. One thing, one thing is certain. Nothing changed. Former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott. Again, this was the guy who was the GOP Majority Leader for years. It just shows you what a controlled opposition they've been for ages, and we refused to do the surgery we needed to do. He said, times change and senators change, referring to Republicans embracing the licentious dehumanization, uh, decivilization, transhumanist agenda. Now he's right. Times change and senators change. Incidentally, only in one direction. Never change in the other direction. But God's word never changes. It's just that you'll now be on the wrong side of God's word and suffer those consequences. And, you know, that's why our country is turning into a wasteland. You can't get around that. Both metaphysically and also spiritually, that's what it causes. But the reality is... There's nothing unique about this issue. They're like that on every issue. So meanwhile, they were meeting, Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden were meeting with McCarthy and McConnell to discuss the omnibus bill. And even Politico was noting that it's hope yes, vote no with McCarthy. So McConnell's openly, you know, yeah, we need to pass the omnibus bill, fund, fund all the crap in government. And McCarthy is playing this game. He's kind of being silent. Well, why isn't he pounding that lectern, holding a press conference with Scalise, Stefanik, and the other clown leadership behind him, saying McConnell better not supply the 10 votes and he needs to whip against an omnibus bill? I want to handle the budget. The answer is because he doesn't want to handle the budget. And we've known that. Um, it's funny, McCarthy said the first thing he's going to do is ha spend the first day reading the Constitution. This is what they do. It's a joke. It's all symbolic. But on the issues that matter, in the way they matter, at the time they matter, they're screwing us. And it's been this way for so long. I don't understand the baby boomer conservative talk radio show hosts and other similar figures that have been doing this their whole life longer than I have. They've been supporting a controlled opposition their whole life. At what point are you going to have a cathartic moment like, dude, we have a problem here? I've offered. I mean, if you got together the top 100 voices in conservatism, whatever that even means, hold a constitutional convention-style meeting, pray together, strategize together, recognize the starting point that what we're doing is not working, that we need to move away from it, I've positive a mixture of five, seven ideas that I think there's no silver bullet, but together would set us on a path towards a new party or a new movement. You know, again, a mixture of focusing hyper-local, 
hyper-issues focused, ideologically focused, um, just dogging these elected Republicans every second, keeping them on a short leash, dragging through the mud the hero, the zeros and promoting the heroes, and especially in the red state legislatures, changing primaries to uh, you know caucuses, conventions. Um, and, and here's the important one. Here is the big piece of leverage no one realizes. Those of you who are still scared, oh my gosh, no matter what, I can't have the Democrat win. The Republican needs to win. We have already crossed that Rubicon. We have experienced worse, worse results than we ever could have imagined had the Democrats won. They do it anyway. See, the Republicans are not a pale pastel version of the Democrat Party. They're not weak. They're actually very strong. They strongly fight for their prerogatives. It's just that their prerogatives are not the same as, as, as yours and mine. The Republicans are the getaway car for the Democrat assassin. You don't say they'll, they're weak in opposing. No, they're, they're not weak. They're working together. Democrats don't want to push the most transformational things alone. They need Republicans to do it. Even if they technically have the votes sometimes, they want Republicans. Republicans are the getaway car. And also Republicans serve as a fake punching bag to, to distract and deflect the blame. So for example, Republicans do this all the time where they'll screw us in every issue, but then they'll pick one very kind of tough issue that if you don't message properly, it is a losing issue and it's a sensitive issue and they'll message it improperly and then the voters will start blaming them and focusing on them rather than uh, what the Democrats are doing. And that's part of a controlled opposition. And that's what they did on abortion. I don't mean that to be pro-life is a controlled opposition, but I mean to do it in the framework and the way that the Republicans do it while screwing us on every other issue is the worst combo. And by the way, the fiscal version of that is what they're doing now with Social Security. Now they're talking about cutting Social Security. Like, really, that's the one thing you're going to push now. I want to get to that more as well. But that's what they are. They're the fat rear end blocking the carter for the firefighters to run into the house while the Democrats are sending the fire. They're not a weak opposition to the fire, to the arsonist. They're an indispensable part of their program to ensure that, that, that a real opposition cannot arise because what the Democrats are doing really is very destructive and unpopular. And on its own, it would flame out. But they fill the vacuum of the opposition for them. It's not about the... See, if we're just 12, you say, well, all right, well, 38 senators opposed it. But no, outside of maybe five, they supported. They all supported it. That's what it is. It's a controlled opposition. Remember, there is a 90-10 Democrat majority in the United States Senate, and that is being very generous because... Before you have Ted Budd, J.D. Vance, and Eric Schmidt, three new guys come in, I can't even get to 10. You say Cruz, Paul, Lee, Holly, Ron John, that's five. What else do you have? And even among those five, I mean, you know, they're very good on a few issues, some on a lot of issues, but each one takes their turn kind of being off on us on a given issue or, or many important issues. 
but let's say 10 who voted against McConnell, 10 voted against him, 90-10. What are you going to do now that Democrats in, invariably have a 90-10 majority in the Senate and in the House, I don't know where to put it, but let's say there's anywhere between 50 and 100 conservatives, to put it very generously, but well short of the 218. What are you going to do now? No one has a good answer for that. No one has a good answer for that. But the biggest action item is the one piece of leverage, the reason why they're not scared of us. Remember, most of these 12 Republicans, not all, but most of them, have already gone through re-election. They're already on their second term, having won a second round of primaries, after screwing us on every other issue. you Joni Ernst and Tom Tillis and Dan Sullivan from Alaska, I can name you tons of issues, fundamental issues that they screwed us on. They're always like that. None of them are a surprise. And it just keeps going on. Just keeps going on. We keep coming back for more. Say No. That is our only point of leverage, and I want to elaborate on that. But first, speaking of coming back for more, those cheating on you, stop funding those that not only hate your values, but also spy on you. Free email services aren't free because they spy on all the information that you have, financial plans, travel plans, business plans, political strategies, and they, they share it. They share it with the government. It's crazy what's going on. There's a crazy political story on how Google worked with the FBI to basically identify cell phones that weren't, it's not just they were in the Capitol, but anywhere around it or near it. I mean, this is fascism beyond belief. That's why you need StartMail. I turn to StartMail, and if you go to startmail.com slash conservative today, you will get 50% off your first year, so you're not even paying that much for securing all of your messaging, no one could read, scan, or sell my private information. When I delete an email with StartMail, it's gone forever. You could also generate an unlimited number of disposable email addresses to use for you know, these junk sites that you got to sign up with. I don't trust big tech, and neither should you. Sign up today with startmail.com slash conservative for 50% off your first year. Again, that's startmail.com slash conservative. So, the first action item that any sane movement would be doing here is that right off the bat, those 12 senators, done. You would have a petition circulating. This would have a lot of, again, it's not binding, but it would have an effect of re registered Republican voters, let's say in Iowa for Joni Ernst, uh, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, Cynthia Lummis in Wyoming, especially states like that. Todd Young in Indiana, pledging we will never vote for Cynthia Lummis ever again. Primary or general election. Done. That trigger needs to be pulled because I am telling you, they say this privately, they said this in private lunch meetings, there is nothing they fear losing and frankly, I can't blame them because they know that it's almost impossible to win primaries against these people. And no one is putting forth a credible plan like me to try to change those primaries to caucuses and conventions. 
and they know that we will always be on the reservation in the general election. And I can't blame them. And that's why we have no leverage over them. The minute you make it clear we are not a Republican, doesn't mean you have to have a ready-made third party right away. But what it means is you will use it to your advantage. You might use it for ballot access where you have a good candidate, where you, you know, you'll try to change to, from primaries to conventions where you can do there. Where we could run an independent candidate, we run an independent candidate. And again, I feel stronger more than starting a new party, but having a new movement that runs independent candidates with an I, just independent. They're not affiliated, so it's very hard to hit at the party because it's not a party. They're kind of loosely affiliated. The elected Republicans will only use it for ballot access, but they consider themselves Freedom Party. May just make it up, whatever they want to call themselves. And you have no allegiance to them. You start caucusing, say, I'm not going to caucus with you. I'll give the Democrats the majority if you don't meet these set of demands. Those are in legislative positions where I, I think it's harder down ballot to elect independents. But, you know, the statewide positions... Put all of your funding and grassroots activism into an impressive person running as an independent, governor and senator. I don't even care about Senate anymore. You're not going to fix the 90-10 majority for 100 years. But governors, I mean, this is what's important. We have Kentucky coming up. We have Louisiana. We have Mississippi primaries next year for governor. And again, you make it clear, you drag them in the mud. Your rhino legislator, your rhino, um, you know, committee chair. Dog them, dog them with local media, local conservative media. Start a website focusing on local rhinos and and and, and exposing them. Instead, we're more like, oh, Republicans, please beat the Democrats. We so love you, love you. And once in a while, we're disappointed in this guy. And then they move on three minutes later, embracing the Republican Party. You see what I mean? There's a middle ground where you can transition away. But the first thing is you have to make it clear. I will not vote for them. I am a never rhino. And I've been that way for a long time. A never rhino. And again, it doesn't mean you have to, the Democrat necessarily has to win. It just, you make it clear it's persona non grata. And you put all of your, again, if every person who claims to be a conservative and claims to care about what we care about, people from Tucker to all the Fox hosts on down would do what I'm doing, it would be a different story. Don't tell me this is not achievable, at least on some level. But if we don't, this is going to continue happening. Let me give you a perfect example. West Virginia. And, and we're going to have a special guest coming up in a few minutes. We're going to go over Wyoming. I'm going to try to give you a tour of each red state, what's wrong with it, the opportunities we have, and what needs to be done there. This is, this is the best we can do, and, and that's what I'm going to busy, busy my time with because there's nothing you can do on a federal level. But in West Virginia, so Jim Justice is an animal, a COVID fascist par excellence communist dog from from the pits of hell ruining one of the reddest trending states you literally have four republicans left in their senate and like what is it like 88 to 12 in the house i think 88 to 12 but the governor is a leftist animal and he has a lot of acolytes in the legislature finally finally 
he's term limited, and in two years there will be another election in 2024 for governor. So finally we have an example or an opportunity to make West Virginia what it should be. And I understand there's some issues there, the old unions and this and that, but at least on the cultural battles, cultural battles, it should be an easy slam dunk. Yet we have Shelley Moore Capito, the Republican senator from there. I'm going to get to governor in a minute. But Shelley Moore Capito was one of the 12 voting for, for gay marriage from freaking West Virginia. She's also pro-abortion. Like, really? I can understand you have more of like a pork stir, like a bird-style guy, brings back a lot of bacon, fiscally liberal maybe, but really on the cultural issues from West Virginia? Are you kidding me? And then now, more Capito. More Capito, that's her son. I believe he's like the House Judiciary Chairman. He's literally the guy who blocks every good piece of legislation there, complete corporatist, corporatist whore, he announced this week he's running for governor. So he's got that name. All people know is that stupid name from her, his mother and grandfather, and that's how West Virginia works. If you had conventions, it would be a different story. Potentially, at least. Primary of no chance. He's going to have the money, name ID, everything. Who knows? Probably going to scare everyone off, and you're going to be left with another one of those people. This is the problem, and nobody is focusing on this. If you can't win in an 88-12 state that hasn't had a single county voting for a Democrat for president in who knows how many election cycles, then you're not going to win anywhere. I don't want to hear about the Democrats. I don't want to hear about ballot harvesting. I don't want to hear about what we do with the electoral strategy. What do you do in a state like West Virginia? And part of the problem is we haven't red-pilled our own voters. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's the best I can do. We're not going to change many hearts and minds, and we don't need to. Because the reason we don't need to is because you're not going to win back those areas anyway. You're not going to win the federal government anyway, even if you won a presidential election. You need to red-pill the red states and the voters in those states. A, into understanding the gravity of what we're up against, the type of issues, and B, the fact that the Republicans as they stand now, as they're currently elected, are literally in bed with all of them, not just a weak opposition. That's what we need to educate, and that's why it's so important to accentuate the divide, accentuate the disquiet, raise awareness to everything they're doing in the legislatures, everything these Republican governors and their administrations, their departments of health, departments of education are doing to promote the woke agenda, not just not combat it. Like Christy Nome, by the way, is part of that. But right now, people don't even know. Jesse Kelly put out something brilliant on Twitter. He said, the greatest challenge anti-communists face is convincing the people in our lives who are not politically obsessed, but they're conservative nonetheless, that evil people are actively trying to destroy us. Average person has never heard of the World Economic Forum. And he's right. And he went on to say his neighborhood is all Republican. He went to, you know, he was at some sort of block party or something. And he was talking about ESG. And they're like, what's ESG? And he had to pull it up online to show them. And that's part of the problem. All they know is they want to defeat the Democrats, Biden, whatever. But they don't know exactly what they're doing. And, and then how it's affecting our ability to live 
and that the Republicans are literally the getaway driver for it. That's what they don't understand. And that's what we need to help out with. We need to red pill them. And it's all of this. It's a mixture of everything. I mean, you first have to red pill people and create a market for them to deviate from the GOP. Because right now, most people don't even get it. What's wrong with the party? They just get it while they have trouble winning national elections. But that's not the problem. You could solve ballot harvesting tonight. You could, let's say, you know, God came before you and said, I'm going to grant you one wish. And you're like, I wish to ban ballot harvesting in all 50 states. Let me do you one better. Let's say you could flip a switch and ban ballot harvesting, early voting, mail-in voting, drop boxes, same-day registration, all that stuff. Go back to the way elections were in the 90s, 80s, and one switch in all 50 states. You're still not dealing with the biggest electoral fraud of all, which is the Republican Party as it's currently constituted. And that's what it shows. It has nothing to do with them. They gratuitously, well, the Democrats control the Senate. No, no, they don't. They need 60 votes. Republicans give it to them on every issue that matters. And again, until now, and this is what we're going to talk about with our guests in Wyoming, you have states where you have 28 to 2 majorities. You don't even have Democrats around, and they screw us. That's the problem. We need hyper-focus. How do we red pill red states? And that's where I want to talk here with our, our guest about the state of play in Wyoming. So I think Wyoming is a great test case for what we're talking about. It's emblematic of the crossroads that I think we're at here, where the federal government is irremediably broken. The Republican Party is certainly irremediably broken, especially at a federal level. But at the same time, we have red states seem to be getting redder in terms of at least the voting patterns that the Democrat Party is a dirty word in a lot of these states. Um, Conservatives seem to be taking over more party positions, you know, like within the state Republican Party, school board positions, lower house, kind of lower chamber of the legislature. So it's getting better in that respect. But until now, it's been bad even in these states. And Wyoming's a great example. Many respects, Wyoming's the most conservative state by a lot of measures. I mean, literally, there is now... Um, a 29 to 2 Republican majority in the Senate, uh, something like uh, 50 or so to 5 in the in the House. Republicans have 86 out of 93 legislative seats. Um, but, you know, you had Liz Cheney there for a long time. And then now you have, as one of the senators, Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming, who just voted for gay marriage. But on the other hand... You do have more conservatives getting into the legislature. Uh, You know, Liz Cheney was kicked out overwhelmingly. The Republican Party officials, the state chairman seems to be hardcore, not a corporatist. And then embodied by this wave is my friend Chuck Gray, who is the leader of conservatives in the House uh, in Wyoming. And he was the first actually to announce he was running against Liz Cheney, but he switched and is... And ran for secretary of state. He defeated someone in the primary and then ran unopposed. Uh, 
in the general, it just shows you how much the Democrat Party has been destroyed in the state and what an opportunity there is if we actually had an intrepid party. So he is now the Secretary of State-elect, which also happens to be kind of the acting lieutenant governor, uh, the number two after the governor. So very important victory for conservatives there. And I wanted to get a lay of the land, the good, the bad, the opportunities uh, in a state like Wyoming. Because again, if we can't get it done there, pick your top 10 issues you want to pass, medical freedom, freedom from tech, break the corporatist uh, monopolistic stranglehold on us, energy independence, um, you know, ending the grooming within the culture and the state government, all those issues, if you can't get it done there, you ain't getting it done in Washington or any other state, that's for sure. So that needs to be our focus, red-pilling red states, red-pilling red voters. Hey, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us once again, and congratulations on your victory. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's always a pleasure coming on, and I appreciate it. Look forward to our conversation today. So let's start off first with the bad before we get to the opportunities. What is up with Cynthia Lummis, your your senator, um, voting to redefine marriage, um, literally codifying it as a federal right? Uh, they didn't get right to carry reciprocity, but they got reciprocity that whatever California decides, if it's a dog and a cat, if it's uh, three, five, seven people, whatever it is, whatever you want to call a marriage, that's okay, and Wyoming has to recognize it. I saw every other one coming, but not that one, not that vote. What is up with her? Well, it's it's awful. Totally inconsistent with our values here in Wyoming. Totally inconsistent with what Cynthia Lummis ran on four years ago, and, and we see that again and again with a lot of the insiders that get into office who run on something totally opposite of what they do in office. And it's, it's a troubling trend. It, it is a troubling trend. Uh, Cynthia Lummis got behind uh, my opponent in the primary and my opponent was sort of the classic insider candidate. And then after uh, president Trump endorsed our campaign, then Cynthia Lummis weighed in uh, for the insider candidate to try to prop her up in the last stages of the campaign. And it's just a consistent trend we have seen. And, and it's totally inconsistent with uh, what the people of Wyoming want and, and what uh, Senator Lummis was elected on. So until now, this is what you had in red states where, you know, Republicans were kind of a sure bet to win the general election. So people didn't really focus on cleaning up the party or on what they were doing in the legislature, localism, the governor, because, hey, it's not Democrats and everything that's bad is because of whatever Democrat is in office, uh, is in the White House at that given time at the federal level. So that's kind of the bogeyman. Yeah, Biden, Biden, Biden. And this is what we've suffered until now. But, you know, you do have, I see your party chairman seems hardcore. The Republican Party committees seem to be good. You seem to have better guys that won primaries. So perhaps the Cynthia Lummis is the, the Cheney seem to be on their way out. Do I have that dynamic correctly? Do you see an opportunity for the upcoming legislative session that a lot of things that you weren't able to get through with medical freedom, other issues until now, that maybe we've turned the corner? Yes. And Daniel, what, what you said, you're, you're very insightful. 
And one of the things that, that you bring to the table, which we've seen time and time again, is you just follow what's going on in a lot of these states that the national media is and covering the trends. And, and you're absolutely correct when you say that in the House, in the state legislature in Wyoming, we had tremendous gains in this election cycle. When I got there, just to give some idea, because currently I'm a member of the legislature, I'm going to become the Secretary of State at the beginning of next year. But when, when I entered the state legislature as a state House member in, in 2016, we had, I would say, five to seven conservatives. And, and it depended on the issue. Sometimes it would be as low as five on basic things. And what, what, what describe basic things? Cycle, <clears throat> oh, fiscal, a lot of fiscal issues, spending. I mean, if, if you had an appropriation that that was outrageous and we tried to contest it on the floor, sometimes we'd only get five to seven votes and, and sometimes as low as five. To, as low as to, five out of 50 or so. Yeah, it was 60 at that time. The legislature was just increased. The state house was just increased to 62 in redistricting. That's a whole other story. But but at that time, it was 60. And then the following cycle in 2018, we, we increased to about 15, 16. Uh, and then the following cycle after that, we ran a conservative speaker. That was in 2020. And we got 16, 17 votes. Uh, that conservative speaker candidate got in a caucus that had 51. So it was about a third of the caucus. And this last time we got 10 new members in this, in this two, 10 more conservative members. And we have basically 27 pretty reliable conservatives out of a, a Republican caucus. Now that it has increased now it's a uh, 56, excuse me, 57. So it, it's it's about fifty percent of the total caucus. Wow! So it's a fifty-seven to five Republican majority, and you're saying you're about at fifty percent conservative. And again, that's that's sad, but coming from where you came from, that that's kind of the trend we seem to be seeing in a lot of states. So finally, people are turning their attention to the fact that wait a minute, this is not a red state unless you make it red. Meaning the voting patterns. What the voters want might, you know, indicate that, um, you know, you look at Harriet uh, uh, Hageman, you know, who wound up defeating Cheney and she won her general election with 70 percent of the vote. I think your governor won with 78 percent of the vote every single county. The Democrat got under 20 percent. So the Democrats really aren't a factor. They've kind of been wiped off the map. So that's why I like to talk about Wyoming, because you can't point to me, well, Daniel, but the Democrats or the 60 vote threshold in the Senate, you know, the U.S. Senate type of thing. Well, we don't have enough vote. Hey, you know. If the Republican Party were what it's chalked up to be, you guys have a runway to do whatever you want. So I want people to recognize that, that, you know, all those excuses, there's no you know ballot harvesting and we can't win elections. They've outfoxed us. No, no, no. The Democrat Party is done with in the state. They are done with in your state. Um, but let's let's talk about the challenges. Um Traditionally, we called, you know, we said there's more moderate Republicans and there's conservative Republicans. But, you know, obviously those terms have lost meaning. And what I'm seeing, and I want to get your sense of, of what's going on in Wyoming in particular, 
is that they'll all say they're pro-life and pro-gun, okay? So those two issues, they kind of like take that off the table. But then on everything else, they're corporatists. And we all know that the corporations are invariably thrown in with big government and big wokeness and every other thing that we don't like that they're pushing, except for maybe oil and gas to an extent, they are going to go where the corporatists want them to go. And that's in the exact opposite direction of where you and I want to go. Is that the 800-pound gorilla? And which industries are the biggest problem? I, I think that is one of the key trends, which is that you see sort of the the chamber candidates. I mean, what, what I had in this primary that we just got out of was a pure insider candidate I was running against versus a conservative. And it was, there was one other candidate in the race who ended up, but he, that candidate really wasn't doing much, but you had a pure uh, known conservative versus my opponent who was a known insider. She came from the state Senate and I'm in the state house. And, and we came in in the state legislature at the same time. Uh, we had totally opposite records consistently and Traveling around our, our beautiful state, the, the first places I would be going are conservative grassroots meetings. Many times that, that the people running those were also very involved in the local Republican parties. And that was the other trend that, that you were absolutely correct on. You know, I'm not talking about nationally and uh, you know, the RNC. I, I, I'm not as familiar with what's going on there, but, but it, in, in, the state of Wyoming, the the state party is very conservative. And so when I was going around campaigning, that, that was sort of the, you know, and it was a three-month campaign, very truncated because the previous secretary of state made a shocking decision at the last moment to drop out of the race right before the filing period was over. So that was sort of an, a truncated campaign. That was sort of... Uh, the centerpiece of, of our campaign support. Whereas my opponent, her name was, his, her name's Terry Nethercott. Every time she was campaigning and, and she ran a very vigorous campaign, the first place she went was the, the chamber meetings, the chambers of commerces. Many times I wasn't even invited. Um, and, and they were putting out signs for her and, and sort of organizing her county by county uh, sort of organization. In addition to the Democrats, believe it or not, who are still allowed to cross over into our primaries, and that's the number one thing we're working to end in this upcoming legislative session that's, that's beginning next month. So, I mean, they have the insiders have basically the Democrats who they basically openly collude with in, in the primaries and then also sort of the, 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 the many of the chamber networks, not, not all of them, but many of them. And whereas sort of the grassroots candidates are uh, working through grassroots conservative meetings and, and different organizations that really every county has in Wyoming, many of them have a lot of crossover with the, the local county parties. So this is what I don't understand, that at a, at a federal level, it's easy to understand because I believe the Republican Party infrastructure is all corporatist. So kind of the elected officials reflect that. But, you know, why is it in Wyoming? I mean, I saw what your party chair said. I mean, he sounds like me. 
Um, and it's similar story in Texas. Great. I mean, the, the state convention they had there could have been a group of people like me getting together. Um, but then still the elected officials don't reflect that. And that's what that's what I'm having trouble figuring out. Is it just kind of like a time lag that it's headed in that direction, but it just kind of take takes a while to flush out the old guard? In other words, did you see people get knocked off in primaries sitting incumbents, or is it just more the open seats are headed in a better direction? At the, at the House, it was both. A lot of it was defeating incumbents who were – did not have good records, but also we we've gotten a lot better at taking advantage of, of open seats and recruiting for that. I think it's, it's an, it's an interesting question. And I do think it's a little bit of combination of both, but I'm not going to beat around the bush. I mean, we are the underdogs. I, I, I will say, because we're up against the, the network that, that, the insiders always use, which I just laid out, but we're also up against the media, which did everything they could. I mean, basically the last two weeks of the campaign, the media just took a huge focus in trying to defeat our campaign. They did not want us in the, in the Lieutenant governor's position, which the secretary of state serves as the Lieutenant governor in the state of Wyoming. They didn't want us anywhere near that position with, my track record and the fact that I've shown that, that I can't, that I will not be bought, will not be bought. And so we're up against the media and that's, that's a big deal. And then the third thing is, and it links to the first, the, the network we talked about is that we do struggle in Wyoming. And I think this is something that other conservative grassroots candidates nationally don't struggle as much with but we struggle with being able to build a donor network. Mm. And I, I think a lot of the, the donors that typically yes. go into, to, into races to support conservative grassroots candidates, a lot of times they aren't as focused on Wyoming. I think it changed a little bit with the Harriet race, although I don't think it, it went too much into the other statewide races, frankly, my race. And then there was also a superintendent <laughs> of public instruction race that we lost by, by two points. And so, so that's the, that's sort of the three, the three prongs that we're working against uh, that, that we're trying to defeat. And, and it is a, a difficult deal. It's, it's, a, it's not easy. And it doesn't mean it can't be done. But it is something we need to face, and and that's what I love about your show, Daniel. Is you're always facing reality. Yes, yeah, so and, and that's the reality. Of- I want to get your take on local media, the importance of people, listeners of this show in Wyoming and other similar, maybe smaller red states that are underperforming at a political level, where the culture is and should be, and where the voters are and should be, is to start local media dogging local politics um, and focusing on the who's who and the what's what so people are red-pilled and familiar with what these guys are, the opportunities, the things they should be doing, and the things they're doing instead. Um, Because you have this problem. I know it from Idaho. I know it from a lot of these states. You have the, The media is savage. Leftist is anything. You could have 99, you know, conservatives in a town. It will be the one liberal who will run the media there. And 
rather than kind of being a cheerleader for the Democrats, because often the Democrats aren't a player, they'll just pick your, you know, local establishment Republican and then champion that guy against the conservative. And that's kind of how it works in these states. So what sort of opportunity could people have? What sort of void do you think is needed in a state like Wyoming to inform the Republican electorate on what's going on locally? Another trend, Daniel, that you just hit it right on. Uh, and, and this is counter. I mean, one, one thing they're very good at in, in the local media, at least in, in Wyoming, is they try to say, and I want to be clear here, I'm not talking about some of the smaller counties, some of the smaller papers, but this is really in, in Wyoming, the, the two big papers I'm talking about, which is the one in Cheyenne, which is called the Wyoming Tribune Eagle. That's, that's the state capital, the, the largest city. And then in Casper, uh, the, what's called the Star Tribune. I call it the Red Star Tribune, Pravda on the Platte. It, they, they are, and I'm not talking necessarily about local TV either, uh, but it is really those two papers which unfortunately and and we have to be honest about this they 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 steer the narrative they do and 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 they have i think it's changing a little bit and they are as bad they they are awful just awful and they try to say that well to to make sure that their advertisers continue that that they're different. They're different. They're not part of the the national. But those two papers are. And they do steer the narrative. Now, one of the things that got me involved in, in politics, you know, my family owns a number of radio stations in the state. I started a, a local show on the radio focused heavily on state politics. And, and that was sort of my, sort of that niche. This was before even I got into the legislature. And this was back in 2014, 2015, right after, a few years after I, I left college, seeing that we needed to have that conversation. I never really built up that, that web niche, which I, I wish I had, but granted, I kind of got into the the legislature and that changed the what what I could focus on. So I, I wasn't able to do that show as much, although I still do some editorials and stuff. But there are some folks that have kind of taken that the web mantle, the local podcast, the state podcast. There's an individual named David Iverson here in, in Wyoming. And, and, you know, you could just on any, I mean, you could Google it. He's on all the podcast streams that populate all the podcasts. And he's on there. He does a very good job setting all that up, and he has really taken that niche, and and he's he's begun to – there were a couple cases where there was an issue that the media was ignoring, you know, those two big papers, and unfortunately, if those two big papers don't cover it, it really doesn't get covered by anybody else, and he put a podcast about a couple of these issues, and it totally – steered the narrative and suddenly the papers were covering it, which was interesting to watch. And and that has been a trend and hopefully something we can continue. And I'm hopeful that national podcasts like yours, I mean, you, you serve an important role and then hopefully, you know, more and more people that, that really get into the nitty gritty going through surveys of these States 
like you you do quite a bit to to keep talking about what are what are the trends in each state because each state's a little different but I yeah. think overall the trend you're seeing nationally in the red states is it, when you, when you mention that it's like that oh boy that's exactly that's what exactly. we saw in Wyoming yeah uh, it's, conservatives it's different especially issues especially in the lower house and then and then the state party. I mean, exactly. State party, maybe a little bit school board, and and that's the thing. Exactly, um, school board too. You know, and we just got to harness our strengths, and that's what we need to build off of rather than continuing down the same path that my colleagues do, just banging their head against the wall on the same issues, same strategies. Um, you you got to get it here because if you can't get it here, where can you? And I look at Florida. It's the third largest state. It has so many urban areas. I mean, you guys tall, always tell me, oh, the cities, the cities. I was like, what are you guys calling a city there? Give me a break, Casper, Cheyenne. I mean, we call them hick towns, you know, here in the east. Uh, you know, you don't have any cities in that state. Wyoming's like the other end of the spectrum from a, a state like Florida. So if DeSantis could get the job done there, I mean, what's the excuse in a place like Wyoming? I mean, that that's really what we need to start demanding. So, you know, headed into this session, you know, if I make you king of the legislature for a day, obviously you're moving on to different office. What do you think are the few priorities that we need to harness this narrow window when we're in such great peril at a federal level mm-hmm. with our life, liberty, culture? Um, I mean, literally our bodily autonomy on the line, political persecutions. What are some of the things that you would jam through in the legislature as soon as you can? Well, I'll start on the election front because being the incoming SOS, that that's going to be a big part of, of sure. what I'm working on. And I'll just go through some of the, the highlights. I mean, big one on election front is ending the crossover voting because one of the things they take advantage of to a heavy effect, alluded to it earlier, is Democrats crossing over into the primary and it's it's I mean, we've done statistics on it that, that, you know, spreadsheets allocating it in each county. It's it's about 10 percent of of the primary. At least it was in 2018. I, I need to get the statistics in, in, the, in the last one. And it was much higher this time because of the Harriet Liz situation. So it's, it's 10, 15 percent, depending on the cycle. And it can get as high in, in certain situations as 20, depending on the county. And that's, that's insurmountable huge. because, you know, that's, it, 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 well, you, don't, yes. you don't defeat you incumbents in. without a scandal by, by 15, 20 points. You just don't. Yeah, with that, it's very difficult on, on in, in incumbents. And then it, it just becomes very difficult, too, when you're up against the media. And then you throw in, especially on statewide races with incumbents, I mean, you throw in then 15%. I mean, you got to win with, with registered Republicans by 15%. I mean, that's, it's, it's very difficult. So that's important on the election front, ending the crossover voting, having a lockout period where there's just no crossover and, and you have a closed primary, which is what most states have. So, and, and there are a lot of red states, not a lot, but there are a few that, that struggle with that, you know, if you're talking about national trends, and we're certainly one of them. And it plays a lot of the role in, in the fact that we can't get more conservatives in office. 
I think the other one is de- getting us off the federal deal. I mean, bottom line here, we can't be dictated by the federal government. And you go down the list of what they're doing is outrageous. The, the bathrooms and in, in schools, what they're trying to jam down our throats on that and tie it to federal funds, the mandate. And that's the other big thing is, is we can't forget what we saw. And I know Daniel, that's this is another thing that you have done a great job pinpointing. We can't forget what, the experience over the last two years with COVID and we're still, we're still in it. I mean, what they're doing and, and the disaster. I mean, we had a special session. So the other time I went on your show, we worked so hard to get that special session done and was heavily involved in that. It was the second special session in Wyoming state history called by the legislature. And we had a huge turnout by the grassroots the first day of the, of the session. And then second day, everybody kind of went home because understandably they, they had to go back to work. And that's when the insiders started doing their, their bad stuff. And all the bills that we wanted to pass got weakened, defeated. I mean, we ended up with one basically meaningless Yep. "Quote unquote" bill that passed that special session. So I want our that was, listeners to understand what you're saying. That at a time when we're watching ominously what's going on in China, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, look at that! Look at that!" That lockdowns and masks have been so repudiated, scientifically, legally, morally. Yet in a state like Wyoming, there is still no statutory reform put in place to clamp down on those emergency powers to clamp down on mandates, it still, you know, technically could happen again, right? Yeah, I I hate saying that. There was one little change that was made in the 2021 session that the, the health officer didn't serve. The governor said that, that the health officer, and it is what statute said, the health officer couldn't be directly fired by the governor. Now, of course, the health officer could be fired by the head of the the director of the department of health, which does serve at the pleasure of the governor. So it was kind of a, you know, a musical chairs thing, but that was one statutory change we got in the 2021 session. And then in the mandate session, after the mandates came down, we got nothing on, on pushing back on mandates, zero, zero. And, And people need to understand the hospital system, the healthcare cartel in Wyoming is going to be just as bad as it is in California. And and if we're going to take this approach that, hey, you know, the system, the government, the masters of the universe could work together with healthcare to screw human rights, then you're done. You don't have a red state. Like, well, we won't, the government won't force it. Yeah, well, maybe the government won't force it, but you don't need to. You have to block it. And if you don't, it's going to happen on its own. I mean, you probably have the problem in your medical schools and things like that, um, you know, to say that you don't have mandates still alive is, is not true. It's happening to a certain degree in every state, and and more needs to be done. Um, this is definitely, definitely very enlightening. I mean, Daniel, can I do one more one more thing if I were if I were in charge? Yeah, we have about three more minutes. Okay, one more thing, and I think we're seeing this in a lot of uh, – red states, I think around the country, but in a lot of red states, 
And it's something I'm not sure the national media has picked up as much. And I'm hoping maybe, Daniel, in, in future shows, maybe we can pinpoint on it and maybe if a few other states, I mean, because I'm curious what's going on in other red states, too, is the tremendous increase in property tax mm. must be stopped. And and we're seeing increases. I'm not kidding you. This mean increases within counties of 40 percent. That's the mean increase year to year. OK, so, so half of the people have increases above that. We have situations where I'm from in Casper where you have an increase that, that is 3,000% in one year. I mean, that, that's, that's the highest, but, it, it, and it's, it's, but across the board, it is wow. outrageous, and it's across our state. And I've been working really hard for three years to get property tax caps and property uh, to tax look at caps. This is a big yeah. issue. See, I'm not into taxes in general. I think it's a dead issue at a federal level. And I, to me, it's along with guns and abortion where it's used by these phony Republicans. But you're pinpointing a specific one, which is property taxes in red states because – Everyone sees this in Florida. It's a great thing, and you see it in the electoral returns. My sister moved there. So many people I know from from my area have moved there, and that's great. But the problem is it's creating a real estate issue, and then that creates a real estate tax issue. And you know, at least income consumption, you're earning something, so you tax off that. But property taxes were always confiscatory cuts at the core of property rights and it's not just a tax it's 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 property rights you literally don't own it and to the extent that you're going to have a property tax but not to have caps where it could just go on indefinitely for as long as you have the property for the rest of your life never maxes out and then now um the land inflation issue is a big big issue um i have no doubt it's not just a wyoming issue it seems like it's you know um any state where you're having an influx of refugees, uh, you know, from the dumpster fire. Uh, so that, yeah, that is very important. Definitely keep us updated on that. We we wish you luck as Secretary of State. Um, certainly there's a lot that needs to be done to make Election Day great again, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks, Daniel. Really appreciate it. Look forward to uh... Look forward to listening to your shows and hope to come back on in the future. I always enjoy it, Daniel. Appreciate it. Take care. It. God bless. So again, a rare success of the best conservative in the legislature moving on to win a statewide office, which is really the number two position, technically would become governor if there's a vacancy. And look, you know exactly where I have my eyes on him. Um, actually, funny story with him. So he was the first to really go after Liz Cheney before it was popular, and he threw his hat in the ring. A bunch of whatever's got involved and got someone else and got Trump to endorse that other person, um, which drove him out of the race. But in this case, I actually, you know, I think Trump did the right thing for the wrong reason because I think being one of, you know, 435 members of this dumpster fire federal house is a waste of Chuck Gray. And I told him that at the time, you know, if you're going to run statewide, because remember Wyoming is, there's one house, it's the whole state. It's at large. So, I mean, you're sitting and running statewide to get a dinky house seat, um, you know, get a, get a statewide office that could step you into governor. And then that's really where I want to see him. Um, that's what we need. I mean, if we focused all of our limited fundraising and activism and media 
on governor, 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 governor in red states. And look, this is happening. I mean, 2023 is literally upon us. That's three red states. I mean, Mississippi is an incumbent that's running for re-election I don't like, but at least the other two, there's opportunities, Louisiana and Kentucky. And then look, I mean, the 2024 cycle, unfortunately, you know, it's elections all the time, but it starts, um, it starts soon. It really does start soon. And this is it. This is our opportunity. And West Virginia, I mean, it's another one of them. Um, now, when it comes to Wyoming, that's not going to be the 2026. So that's that's a long time. Uh, Gordon was just reelected. Um, you know, he's again, nice man, just not with us. Um, but maybe he could be convinced to do the right thing. And that's the thing. Do keep in mind, there is this middle ground of people that if we keep them on a leash and they want conservatives to think good things about them, you kind of incentivize them to do the right thing. But this is what we need to focus on. It's all about these issues. Um, there, there's kind of a nagging thought I have here, and we don't have much time here. I wanted to get into more issues, but uh, you know, I think his message was important. His story is important, understanding the dynamics of of the challenge and the opportunities in these red states going forward, the crossroads where we lie. But I will say I do have kind of a somewhat of a depressing thought, but take it for what it is. Is this too little too late? Meaning on a positive note, the trend is that not in all states, but in most red states, we're starting to see the party positions, including the party chair, the state party chair is becoming one of us school boards, some County positions, and then, legislature but mainly the house much more so than the senate and you know it's starting to flush out and over time that will lead to governor to the extent you care about the federal positions the federal positions as well attorney general you know state senate and things like that but is it too little too late i mean now is the time when we need to fortify this stuff pedal to the metal and we're still four to six years out in our ability to do this and we can't wait we have to force it now and again, I, li- I listed about five different strategies that I think work harmoniously together, but we ultimately need to see what is worth expending our political capital. You know, one of the things I didn't get a chance to talk about is John Thune, the Senate majority or minority whip, is, is saying, don't use the current budget to fight the Fourth Reich issues that are killing us now. They're imminent and they're unpopular Use the debt ceiling to go after Social Security. Like, really? Now, there's a way of dealing with that and Medicare, too, but but that requires fixing health care wholesale, and then you give people the cash to just go out and purchase any insurance you want, any, um, uh, you know, direct payment, cash payment, health sharing ministry, but you have to open up those options. We don't have them now. So you have to fix healthcare at wholesale. If you just talk about spending less money on Medicare in the current system, that just looks like cutting people's benefits. It just, it's not going to solve the problem, A, and B, it's just, it's stepping on a hand grenade. But that's what Republicans do. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they do. And, and mind you, they're not going to fight for that on the debt ceiling. John Thune has, has voted for every debt ceiling increase you could imagine. It's a joke. It just chased the next squirrel. But enough to message it to burn our candidates where, you know, 
Otherwise, the voters would be on top of the left and the Fourth Reich issues, but now they'll make it about Social Security. Classic. And they kind of did that with the abortion issue a little bit as well, in my view. But that's what a controlled opposition means. I'm telling you, if we had a movement that fully understood what the Republican Party is and what needs to happen, the options would open up very quickly, and God would help us. But only if we try to be on God's side and do the right thing, not be in this sodomite relationship with a sodomite-supporting party. And that's the thing. It doesn't mean you have to start from scratch. Like you see in Wyoming, they flushed out Cheney. They um, got Chuck Gray in there as, as the number two statewide position, knocked off some rhinos in the House. The state party chair is good. Lots of problems still there. That's what we need to focus on, and I'm going to kind of give you a tour of each state. Let me know if you're in Wyoming um, and you have what to say on this. Email me, danielhorowitz at starmail.com. If you similar stuff in your, your state, we're going to try, we need state leaders that are willing to get together. Um, you know, I could organize 20, 30 people that listen to this show in your state. You hold a meeting, but I need someone willing to lead that meeting and divvy up jobs to focus on the legislature, to put out media, social media. Um, it's very important to have a state kind of publication where you do um, publicize the news of what's going on in you know state politics, but you know focus on kind of the wedge issues, the important issues, and then put out action alerts. Uh, on some level, we're starting to succeed at this, but we just we got to step on the gas pedal because we can't play a six to ten year plan. We, we just don't have that time. Um, so there are good things, but we have to accentuate the good, um, augment them, build upon it, and stop focusing and doubling down on the same failed focus, failed issues, failed offices, failed people, failed strategies like my colleagues. That's why I need you to send this show to every one of your friends and relatives, everyone you know, a new sort of independent conservative strategy, um, a new movement. This is not just a show, not just entertainment. This is a movement. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.